Hi everyone, Greg Meskel here with you. Thanks for joining us for another episode of What's Good. Today we are talking with Paralympian swimmer Robert Griswold, a fellow New Jersey native, so this is fun for me to talk to Robert. Robert, thanks for taking some time to talk with us. Of course, my pleasure. Robert, this is a time where athletes are scrambling to figure out how can they stay active, how can they train, how can they stay on, on schedule. Swimmers especially, it's been uh, written about often, the need for pools. People's backyard pools are getting turned into Olympic training centers. What's your journey been like to try and stay in the water? Well, I would say that, well, my journey kind of starts in the beginning of March. So I am, I just finished up my senior year at Indiana State University. And so that's where I was training going into Tokyo. And so kind of, I had, I'd been traveling, I'd been to Sydney, Australia, well, Sydney and Melbourne, Australia before in February. And I kind of, I got the sense of, all right, well, this thing is, this thing could be big. This, this could have some significant impacts on Tokyo, on the lead up to Tokyo 2020. So I'd been kind of monitoring and watching it and just, I had this feeling that I was going to have to do something drastic in order to get in the water as long as possible. And now we're thinking about operating as if Tokyo is going to be in 2020. So it gets around in the second week of March and people start like, People start talking, coronavirus starts spreading the U.S. There's the talk of shutting down. I, um, I made the prudent decision. I said, well, if I'm going to go one place that I'm going to be able to train as long as I can, it's the Olympic Training Center. So I went to the Olympic Training Center, and, like, literally, it was, it was pretty crazy. Like, it was – I remember, I think it was, like, Thursday the 11th. I was sitting in one of my classes, and we got the email that school was going to be closed – for the time being, and I just I just walked out of class right there, booked my flight, got on a plane, got to Colorado Springs as quickly as I could. And thank goodness I did, because the very next day was the day the training center shut. And then I was able to train for about another two weeks more than most people in the country. And then even that shut down. And so we had to get really creative. And so so me and a couple of other athletes, we we were just kind of kicking stuff around of like, okay, how can we get in a pool? But so in the meantime, we, we had the ability to use a VASA ergometer, which is, um, which is basically, it's like a swimming rowing machine. It's absolutely awesome. You could do a lot of like swim training on it. And so I, uh, so we were doing that. And so we had the idea of, well, why don't we just check out Airbnb or, 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 or find a pool that way? I had a, I also had a, couple friends who are real estate agents in the area and we just started reaching out and I swear we must have DM'd maybe 50 different people until we found somebody. So they had a 40 foot outdoor pool and we were, and so we would go there. And so basically we kept it on the down low because we just, we didn't want to like mess our deal up or make a real big deal out of it. So we would go at five in the morning we'd get up at five in the morning and this is in March. This is late March, early April in Colorado Springs. And it's cold and it's below freezing basically just every morning. I mean, then going and swimming in a pool below freezing every day at five o'clock in the morning in Colorado is on the outset sounds like an absolute crazy idea. 
And that's, the, like, that's the indication oh, though, Robert, you think about, I mean, and you know this all too well, and, and we've read stories about uh, swimmers in Indiana swimming in ponds and lakes and, and oh, you're there yeah. in freezing pools. This is the adversity that people at your level uh, need to overcome and often do. And um, for those that don't know, you're, you're coming off of that bronze medal at the 2016 Paralympics in Rio, like so many Olympians, Paralympians preparing for Tokyo, and now it's been postponed a year. Some people have looked at this as like a benefit, like now we get a year to get better. We get, we get a year to be better than we were perhaps this year. How are you looking at the postponement as you get ready to try and go back and compete? Well, I think I do see it as an advantage too, because I think what it did was having, and even though we were still training, having some time off to think and reset and review the processes in which that I was going through and what, and what I wanted out of swimming and things like that allowed me to, allowed me to really focus on, well, Hey, like, cause, cause usually we, we sit and we think, well, if I got to do this again, what would we do differently? It's almost like, it's almost like in that sense, like, like, Hey, this is your, this is your golden opportunity to do something differently. If you didn't like how you were doing something is to find a way to do it better. And that's, and that's kind of how I'm approaching it. I know that's how a lot of other people are approaching it. And that's kind of how you have to, that, that, it, it, you, you either ha you have to approach it. Like either you find a way to get better or you fight or you get worse. And that's, that's how it works. And I think it's just like going back to the basics and reaffirming one, why do I love swimming? Two, how, to what things, what big things can I do to get better? And three, what little things can I do to get better? And so I think, and really thinking and understanding and learning to appreciate the fact that even that now I'm able to get in the pool every single day, it's just like, and, and appreciating that even when it gets hard, that I've got that in the back of my mind and I have it there for the rest of my career, is I can guarantee you that that every single time that I think that something's hard or I might not necessarily want to wake up and do something, or I'm sore and I feel miserable. I'm going to think about that. And, and this has given me and so many other athletes, the perspective of that. This isn't, this isn't something to be taken for granted and that this is a gift every single day that we get to do this. And I think of, of anything else that that mindset will carry with me through the rest of my career. Robert Griswold, Paralympic swimmer. Appreciate him joining us here today. When I think about Olympic athletes, they, outside of say the major sports, let's say basketball, where there are NBA players as well. Part of an Olympian's journey often is being an advocate for their sport. And then I think of Paralympians and oftentimes part of their journey is being an advocate for their sport, but also an advocate for, for their condition. You have cerebral palsy. I'm curious, how much does that play into uh, your journey in swimming and how much do you feel a responsibility to kind of raise awareness about that and let people know all the things you've accomplished in conjunction with that? I think that definitely the biggest thing is, so first in speaking about Paralympic sport, I mean, a lot of us, and I mean, we've seen so much growth. I mean, even since I went to my first trials in 2015, we've seen so much growth. I mean, there are those of us that are literally professional athletes living the dream doing Paralympic swimming. 
And at the moment, it's like, it may not make as much as an Olympic athlete, or it may not make as much as somebody in the NHL or the NBA. But the thing is, is the best that we can do is be the best advocates for our sport and be as professional as possible and work towards those opportunities now so that even maybe some, someday, and it's just like, and we're making progress every day, but like, I want to see some kid who's probably, who might even not be born yet, that I'm well out of the sport or I'm coaching or something and they come in and they get, and they are able to make just as much money as an Olympic swimmer or just as much money as somebody in the NBA or be able to have the same amount of fame and success if they work hard for it. And I think that that's what keeps me going is, is doing stuff better for people in the future. And then in terms of my disability, I would definitely say that I, it's one of those, I ran into a lady at the uh, pool today. So she has cerebral palsy, a little bit more severe than me. She, it affects one side of her body and she's in a power chair. And so, and, and she, and it was awesome to be able to swim with her and to get to talk with her and to get to learn from her about how we have the same condition and how it affects her. And she thought it was crazy. I mean, she had never even heard of Paralympics. And this is some, this is a lady in her mid thirties who has a job, lives a relatively normal life, drives, does everything. And she had never heard of it. And I, that, that happens all the time. I mean, Greg, like I've been to, I would say without fail, every single able-bodied uh, USA swimming club meet that I have been to, there has been a kid that has a Paralympic eligible disability and being able to share and being able when I not just for my condition, but for people with all conditions to be able to share, Hey, there's this Avenue for you. And look at this, look at this crazy life that I'm living and all these, all these amazing things that I get to do and just the opportunity with that. I mean, I wouldn't give up if I had to do it over again, I would, I would want to be born exactly the way I am. Cause I think that there are some things and there, there are some struggles and some hardships that I had to deal with and I had to work through but I think that our struggles and our hardships in life determine our character and determine the people that we are. And you, you, you look at it. I mean, one of, one of my idols and stuff is Ben Carson. So he's the director of HUD at the moment. He had an extremely, extremely difficult life, grew up in a single parent household, but through the love of reading, love, love of education and knowledge, he worked to be the most, one of the most successful neurosurgeons in history, he was the first person to ever separate two conjoined twins at the head and is now the director of HUD. This kid from, this kid from a poor neighborhood with not much of anything. And I think that's the crazy thing is that, and being able, to, and it's empowering to be able to say, hey, regardless of what your situation is, and as that, that, that you can use the hard things in order to teach you how to be a better human being and how to, and, and how to be great. And that's the one thing that I think of as, as hard as some of those times were, I think back on it and it, I think back on it. I wouldn't trade it for the world. Well, it's interesting when you, when you talk about going to these swim clubs and uh, athletes not being aware of the path that you traveled or that you continue to travel, I wonder, A, do you, do you think that there is um, 
a situation where people do not want to classify themselves as a Paralympian? Is there, is there a stigma associated with that in your mind? And was it a process for you to, to em, embrace the Paralympic side of things when you're certainly a capable swimmer to compete with able-bodied athletes as well? What, what, what was that road like for you? And what's that feeling out there about, about being a Paralympian as opposed to aspiring to be an Olympian? I would say that generally it's overwhelmingly positive. And like we have, I remember when I learned about Paralympics, I was 12 years old and I was at University of Tennessee swim camp. And so the coach at the time, John Tremblay, he said, hey, there's this thing where like, where like able-bodied athletes and disabled athletes can compete the same. And so I went home and I looked it up and I remember there's this, there's a guy, his name was Andre Brazil, one of the best Paralympians in history. Uh, I remember looking at the results from the Paralympic games in 2008, the year before, and I saw that he went at 23 in the 53 and I was like, Oh, okay. 23 yards. No, 23, one meters, which would make Olympic trials for able-bodied. And I remember saying, Oh my goodness. And then I looked it up more. And so then there's a, there's another lady, her name is Natalie Dutoit from South Africa. And she actually gets sixth in the 10K at the Olympic Games in Beijing as well. And, and, that's, for, and that's for able-bodied. And it was incredible. And I think it was one of these that I realized there was this whole avenue out there for, for athletes to be able to compete on a level playing field. And I think it's empowering and it's exciting for these kids of, hey, I get to see where I stack up on a level playing field for once. And I think that that's, that's the amazing, that's the amazing thing about it. And I think just a lot of kids don't know about, it. and I think we're moving, we're moving in the right direction and, and the direction that ultimately that I wish to see within when I'm done swimming is that we, that is that us Paralympic swimming comes under the, um, the management of USA swimming that allows it to raise the profile of the sports. And then in a lot of other countries, British swimming, Australian swimming, you name it, it's the same federation. I think, and, and those relate, those working relationships are getting closer and getting better. And I think that that's something that I would really like to help be a part of and get closer to that, because I think that there would be an explosion of people coming out of the woodwork. Cause I mean, and you like a USA swimming club and, I'm on the USA Swimming Disability Committee at the moment and, and just working and just working to be able to get that out there. And if we can be like, hey, this is what we're looking at from a national level, I think that there are only good things that can come from being part of the same federation as the most successful swimming federation in history. You bring up a great point. And, and for those that don't know, it's not too long ago that uh, the U.S. Olympic Committee changed their name from USOC to USOPC to include the Paralympic element, as Robert was discussing. And uh, you're right, too, when you have those larger national governing bodies that can bring the Paralympic sport under their umbrella, they can put so much more energy and effort behind it. It opens it up to a whole new community. To your point, you think about USA Swimming, anytime they're communicating you know, with their, with their membership, if the Paralympics in the swimming world were part of that, it's just going to open things up uh, even more. You've touched on this a bit, and, and I think conversations like this are really helpful to educate those that don't know or unsure of, 
of how all of this works. And you talked about what you hope happens in the future. I'm just curious uh, for you personally on your goals, what, what else do you want to accomplish? I imagine a gold over a bronze when it comes to the Paralympics, but how much longer do you want to keep doing this? And what else are you still chasing as a competitive athlete? Well, I think definitely. So my goal is going into Tokyo next year. I would like to win four gold medals. So this uh, this year, I, I had a, I've had a wonderful last quad, and I've grown so much as an athlete and as a person since 2016. So I won two golds in the uh, 200 IM and the 100 backstroke at World Championships this year. And then I won uh, two silvers, one in the 100 fly and one in the 400, and I just missed out on gold in both of them. And I would like four gold medals. And then also the Team USA men were looking – at trying to, for the first time ever, field a relay that wins a bronze medal. So our men have never medaled in swimming in a relay at the Paralympic Games since 1960. And our women have basically medaled every single time. And so it's, and that would be a great thing for our men's program to be able to find a way to do that. And I think that that's one of my goals is for us, for us as a team to win a bronze medal and it's like we get four people who win medals that way, and then whoever we can stick on the relay in prelims. And heck, if we could get eight people medals and find a way to make to get every man who's going to the Paralympic Games a medal, I think that that would be that would be a real story. That would be like ESPN thirty for thirty worthy if we could find a way to do that. And I mean, and that's what we're pushing for. And so, and then kind of after Tokyo, I'm thinking that I would like to at least go till LA. And I want to, if, I, if I'm going to do this, I want to go to through games in my home country because, I mean, I remember in Brazil and it almost, it almost brings me to tears thinking of it because I remember watching, because Brazil, much in the same way, they had a massive upset on the last race of the meet in the 4x100 medley relay. And when they won a bronze medal in front of their whole crowd, nobody expected anything. I remember just standing there and just the pride that they felt and, and watching these grown men break down and cry because they had won a, a medal for their country. And, 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 it, and it makes me feel emotional just think just, just standing back. Because I remember that we all went up and just got in the line and shook their hands and were hugging on them. And just you have this crowd of 15,000 Brazilians who are just chanting Brazil, Brazil, and just the pride that comes with that. And I think that that's something when we host the games in LA 2028, that's something that I want to be a part of and I want to be a part of my story. I, I totally agree with you. I, having been to many Olympic games, but never won in the U.S., I can only imagine what it would be like to accomplish all of those things on home soil. Just a couple of more questions for you here, Robert. And uh, before we get into our final uh, portion of the interview here, just want to ask, and I'm sure you've had to talk about this often, but, but what, what else, as we come to a close here, do you want people to know about the Paralympics, Paralympic athletes in general, things that maybe common misconceptions, stuff that you wish people knew that you feel like doesn't, doesn't get the appropriate attention it deserves? Uh, I think to the level of that Paralympics are competitive. I mean, you see, it's like we're, the U.S. were arguably maybe a little bit behind in terms of coverage and some other things, and we're catching up. But, like, 
if you go to Great Britain, Paralympic athletes are literally on the same platform as Olympic athletes. And you go over there, like you are there, Brazil, throughout most of Asia, definitely Eastern Europe. Eastern, Eastern Europe, Paralympic athletes are, the close, are some of the closest things to rock stars. And you, and you see it, and you see in how competitive that the sports truly are. And like, we're, like, we're out here and we, we do this for a lot of us. Like once we get out of college, this is our career. And it's, and it's extremely competitive and keeps getting even more competitive. And it's one of those, it's, it's, it's a spectacle. I remember like, and there are so many different and cool little nuances about the Paralympics. Like for example, a sport like track or swimming or cycling, it's all the sports that you grew up knowing and loving, except done in a unique and maybe slightly different way. And then even for the diff, there are different other uh, Paralympic sports out there. One of my personal favorites, it's called goalball. So for your viewers, kind of the best way to explain goalball is imagine a volleyball court. And at each end of the volleyball court, there is a net that spans the width of the court. There are three players on each side who are visually impaired or blind. They all have to wear an eye shade, so they can't see anything. And they have a six-pound rubber ball that is filled with eight, with, with eight bells that they chuck at each other at 45 miles an hour and try to block it. And whoever wins the most goals at the end of a game wins. Like that's pretty crazy. And yeah. just, and, and the amount of, the amount of sports specific skills you have, uh, the personalities. I mean, even we had a, in 2016, the set, I, I got to meet the second tallest man in the world. So he's a, so he plays sitting volleyball for Iran. I remember everybody, it didn't matter who it was, that dude was the star. It's like, it's like we have the stars, we have the personalities, we have the stories. And I think, and, and, once, people, and once people see it, they're hooked. We have that, we have that all the time. If these people are like, oh my God, I didn't even know this was out here. And I think that that's the real unique thing is give it a try. Look up Paralympic sport. That's awesome. Can't, can't sell that better than what you just did, Robert. So appreciate that. As we wrap up here, we answer, or rather we ask uh, our final three questions in every interview. Uh, they are, what is something you've done for yourself lately? What's something you've done for someone else lately? And what is something that really made you laugh out loud? And I'll start first, Robert, what's something you've done for yourself lately? Uh, I think something something that I've definitely done for myself is allowing is allowing myself to just decompress and just be happy with what I have. And the fact that I'm getting to swim right now, and that's, I think, and just, and just allowing myself to sit and take those, those few moments a day and just truly enjoy that. And then also I've, I, I did get myself a new pair of Bose headphones from unclaimed baggage. So I got a pretty good deal on those. So I'm, happy as a clam at the moment. But um, yeah, that's like that, that, but I think just really allowing myself to enjoy what I, to enjoy what I have. Excellent. And then what's something you've done for someone else recently? Uh, something, something that I think I've, I've done for somebody else is, I mean, just being, get, getting to be down here with my aunts and uncles and my mom and my sister is it's been 
it, it's been pretty good because I haven't just with my schedule and stuff, I'm not able usually to come and visit for a long time places or I haven't truly been on vacation in maybe six years. And so, I mean, I, I, I consider an adventure everywhere I go, but like just to be able to sit and relax and to get to spend time with them and be able to help, be able to help them with things. Cause I mean, it's just like, they're not going to be around forever. And I think, and just, appreciate and just being able to spend the time with them and be able to help them with certain things that I'm able to help them with and that's that's been one that I I've really I'm really glad that I've had the opportunity to do and I wouldn't give it up for the world and last but not least what's something that has really made you laugh lately uh I would say I would say kind of the same kind of the same thing again is so um is just being around my aunt my uncle my my uncle is he he's he's one in a million he's that he's that crazy and wild uncle who will say it who will say anything or whatever and i think it just he always keeping me on my toes and stuff like that and just giving and and, and just somebody who really enjoys life and i mean somebody somebody too i mean he was he was uh he's dyslexic. And so he always had a really hard time in school and stuff like that, but he rose to be this massive, um, to, to be a great businessman and to be able to be, be so successful and provide for his wife and provide such a, and to, such an amazing life for himself and his family. And I think, and somebody who, 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 who knows it's okay to be able to make fun of yourself once in a while and to be able to laugh at, the things that necessarily we can't do the best, but that's always like, I'm, I'm surprised he hasn't come in here and made some smart comment um, <laughs> while I'm on this. He probably knows better, but yeah. So it's just like, that's been the, that's been something he's really made me laugh and brought me a lot of joy. And two, two quick bonus questions since we're from the same area in New Jersey. Do you, do you believe in central Jersey or is it North or South Jersey? Uh, I would, I, I believe in central Jersey. I feel like it kind of, I mean, we're closer to the border of that. And I look at it more from a sphere of influence perspective. And then it kind of goes from like freehold and it kind of goes all the way down to like the coast past like Tom's River Seaside Heights. And that's more in like, it, it is central New Jersey. And, and it's like, I, I, I believe it exists. I mean, the New Jersey inter, inter scholastic high school sports association, they do have things listed as central Jersey. So I'll, I'll, I'll heed their judgment on that. But I would, I would say believe central Jersey exists. It's a, very, it's a very official answer. Well done by you. And most importantly, do you refer to it as pork roll or Taylor ham? Oh, pork roll. I had some pork roll. I had, I had some pork roll yesterday and I'm probably going to have some more before I go to practice again. But <laughs> it is, it is definitely pork roll. I mean, like there, there is that debate, but I, most of the people around where I'm from, I think I've only ever heard one person say Taylor ham. I'm just like, excuse me. But yeah, so I, it, it's, I can see where you get both. But it, at the end of the day, it says pork roll on the package, so I'm going to have to go with pork roll. But we're still talking about the same wonderful, the, the same wonderful breakfast meat here. So if that's what you want to call it, it's 
I, I protect your right under the First Amendment to call it whatever you want to call it, but <laughs> we're talking about the same thing, so it's all good here. Oh, that's classic. Uh, and I have to agree with you, too. I've, I've only referred to it as pork roll, especially uh, in, in the Central Jersey area. Robert, this was great to talk with mm -hmm. you. Really appreciate the time and uh, excited to see you back in the pool, uh, hopefully next summer in Tokyo. Mm -hmm.